Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. One of the biggest goals for many of us is to pay off our mortgage 100%, have no consumer debt, and just live the life. Well, today we're gonna talk about What happens when you do pay off the mortgage? What happens when you are debt-free? Do you drop down your hours? Do you work more and invest more for the future? What are you going to do? Just pause now. If you are driving along, close your eyes, take your hands off the wheel, pretend you're in a Tesla with total autopilot, all that stuff, but no, seriously. I just want you to have a think now. What would your life look like if you were completely debt-free? Is that something you legitimately want to work on before you're 55? So we're going to chat about that and more today in the podcast. Thank you to our friends at Sharesies for bringing the Tuesday episode to you week in, week out. Auto Invest on the Sharesies platform helps you put dollar cost averaging into practice by putting your investing on repeat. Pick an order, set the amount you want to invest and how often. Make sure your wallet is topped up and Auto Invest will place the orders for you. It's simple and easy. Set up Auto Invest today and get $10 added to your account when you sign up to the Sharesies platform using the exclusive promo code MMM. That's $10 to your account using the Sharesies platform using the exclusive code MMM. All investing involves risks, T's and C's of fees apply. Today in the episode, I'm joined by Alex Luck and Scott Taylor. They are from Everest Wealth. They're financial advisors. They help out so many listeners all around Australia. My name's Glenn James and you're listening to My Millennial Money. Gents, welcome to the Tuesday show. Thanks for having us here. It's great to be here. Yep, looking forward to it. Now, what we're going to do, just so people know whose voice is who, what's your name? My name is Scott. And what's your name? And my name is Alex. Well, there you go. That's Scott and Alex. Uh, Thanks for helping out a heap of listeners all over Australia. Uh, You can check out everestwealth.com.au. Is that your website? Uh, sure, whatever. <laughs> Google Everest Wealth. Who cares? Everestwealthgroup.com.au. Oh, we've added group, have we? But if you just Google Everest Wealth, yeah. it'll come up. Yeah, yeah whatever. Um, anyway, not about you. It's about Michael Wood. So my kind of thing at the start of the episode was in response to a group question that Michael asked. And he said, hi, we have recently paid off our mortgage and have no consumer debt thanks to the Glenn James spending plan. How awesome is that? That's so good. Before the age of 50 or just on 50 yeah. as well. I've just turned 50 and have a goal of winding down my work days to three days a week between 55 and 60 so I can live the loot life. And if you're new to my world, I say the loot life or loot, that is life on own terms. Is it too late to invest in a moderate growth ETF portfolio like Vanguard with a view to supplementing my income in this period before I access my super. Now that we've paid off our debt, we have the funds to invest. Other than my self-managed super fund, I never have really invested before. Appreciate any advice you can give. Well, Michael, you're in great hands today because we've got two financial advisors giving some general advice. <laughs> yep, general, that's, that's the key. So look, This is a common thing that we are seeing more like people dialed in with their money, want to 
reduce work before that magical age of either 60, which is the age that we can get our superannuation, so preservation age, or perhaps even before age 67, which is when you can log on to government benefits. So 50 isn't too late to start investing in growth assets, is it? Any thoughts on Michael's uh, good problem to have here? Great problem to have. Now he's um, spending less because he's not spending as much on his debt. Potentially already he could start to, to earn less and still have a comfortable lifestyle. So he may not necessarily need to work five days a week and, and invest money for that point. Potentially he can drop to four days a week or three days now. Um, but assuming Michael's kind of worked through his expenses and he, he still needs to kind of work five days a week to, to pay for, for added expenses, I guess firstly what we would suggest is looking at, well, those five years between 55 and, and 60 when you you aim to kind of work three days a week, what do the extra expenses look like? Extra holidays, hobbies on those two days, uh, more dining out as, as a result of being home more. So what does that kind of look like and what is the gap from three days a week of income? And then there's going to most likely be a deficit position from his uh, income that he's now receiving from working less. So working through that and then how do we fund that? So what we generally would suggest is that uh, for the first kind of next three years or so, Michael Michael invests that, that spare money um, and then towards the end as he gets closer to age 55, starts putting some of his surplus into cash so that he doesn't need to pull upon the investment. Uh, as soon as he's 55, he can then call upon it in, in potentially better years uh, as the market kind of sees fit. Yeah, and I think it's important to note like in these situations, it's not like Michael's 30 and he's just building wealth for the next 20 years. It's almost every single year, yes, I'm investing in a portfolio that might be a growth portfolio, but I'm coming up for air every year because he might get to age 53 and go, you know what? I'm liking this balance. I can probably just keep working three days a week till I'm 60 or forever more. Yeah, absolutely. So that that's why that, that when as you get older, it, it's better to always continually review compared to if you're in your 20s or 30s. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, just, just kind of make sure that you've got that balance between cash in the bank and cash investments that you can call upon now if you do want to suddenly drop mm-hmm. versus what's being invested because it may not be the right time to, to sell your investments when you, when you do need them. Yeah, and I would just add to that um, – it's really good that he's that he's doing this and, and having a bit of a look at his situation and trying to do some forecasting. But yeah, probably bigger picture is just post-60 as well, mm. just making sure that the projections are sort of stacking up on that self-managed super fund to sort of fund him through retirement too because he's still got a solid 10 years if needed as well to, to build that if needed. Yeah. So look, the um, investing in your own name, you know, if you've not invested before and it, it really depends. Like, you know, Michael could have, I don't know, he might have been paying 40 grand a year on the mortgage or 50 grand. Well, you got a bit of money over the next handful of years. Get some advice, you know, get some once off advice for an investment portfolio. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And then just it's, it's, it's deciding where that, so it is the sort of 40, 50 grand surplus mm-hmm. a year now, where to, where to dictate that to as well, like personal investment or you know, again into the, into the super yeah. fund maybe. Or- and then also, Michael, like if you've got an older spouse, And, you know, because I think I've seen we there, like if, for example, your spouse is older, maybe you use the spouse's super for the next five years to contribute to. 
Yeah, because it will save save potentially on tax, but yeah. then mean that you can still access some of your your joint wealth in the five year time frame that you want. Yeah. So look, lots of good things going on there, and I wouldn't be opposed to Michael getting some advice and and really just keeping an eye on your, you know, you've got your self managed super fund. You know, what is that invested in? Because if it is just a property, well. What are you going to do with the property longer term? Yeah, we like, need we need liquidity in yep. in the self managed super fund. So if that's not there at the moment, contributing to that or having a plan over the next ten years to get more liquidity for sure. Because we reach age sixty, yes, we can access it. But if it's just a property and a bit of cash, mm-hmm. then yeah. But in terms of the um, the practical things, like he said, he's never invested outside of super. Well, if you do have a brokerage account in the self managed super fund. Well, you would just look at setting up a brokerage account uh, in your own name or your yeah, partner's well, name or a joint name. Correct. Yeah. Investing, whether it's in a self-managed super fund or your personal name or partner's name, like you said, it, it is effectively the same process. It's just different tax structures. Just, yeah, different ownership and tax. Moving on, there's another kind of super question here from James. Question for the well-informed superannuation people. We have maxed out our concessional contributions for this financial year. We would like to go back previous financial years and top these up a bit. How do we tell the ATO or my super fund, who I've been with for the best part of 14 months, that would like to start topping up previous concessional contributions amount? Any comments there? Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll field this one. So um, I'll just take a step back though, if I can, initially just for the people that aren't well informed um, around super or, or how you can sort of contribute and stuff like that. So what James is referring to here is a concessional contribution first and foremost, which is effectively a tax deductible uh, contribution. Included within this is the, the money that your employer would be putting in for you um, each week, fortnight uh, or month. Now, there's a limit on how much that can be every sort of financial year. Currently, it's $27,500, but they, they did bring in some legislation a number of years ago which said if you didn't use that full cap, so that full twenty-seven and a half and twenty-five sort of prior to that, uh, it's, it's then um, still available to you in a rolling five-year period. So where this potentially can become an advantage is if you've had an event throughout the financial year where maybe you've made a large capital gain, so maybe you've sold an investment property or a large share parcel or you've effectively made uh, more income than usual or something like that and then you're looking at ways that you can then reduce that tax liability, contributing into your super through this concessional method and using some of maybe unused cap that you've got from the years before can really help to sort of to lower that because money that goes into super in this in this form is only taxed at 15% as opposed to your your marginal rate. And then, sorry, then to answer James's actual question, yeah, yeah, <laughs> which was around um, what he needs to do here. So effectively, um, your MyGov would have this this information generally. Now, it may not be necessarily up to date, so mm. take that with a with a pinch of salt. But you don't actually need to inform um, your super fund. Anything like how it actually works is if you if you put in, say, he's got fifty grand of unused cap, he puts that in, he, he lodges a notice of intent to claim with with his super fund. The super fund will then simply report those contributions to the ATO. Yeah, and then yeah, effectively the ATO will then double check against his unused cap there. And realistically, if the ATO website said through the last three years, you've got, I don't know, I'll make a number up, $15,000 in unused. Now, you could put $15,000 in before the end of the financial year, wait until after the financial year, see if the ATA website updates, and if it says, oh, you've only got 14 or whatever, you could just 
do a notice of intent to claim the $14,000 and leave the $1,000 as a personal contribution? Yeah, like a non-concessional yes. contribution. Yeah. yeah, yeah, correct. Yeah, you can just do do a vary a variance of that. So really, you need to yeah add this up yourself. Potentially seek some tax advice um, if needed as well, because because mm. our our taxation system is it's self declaration. Yeah. So effectively, the ATO gives you the rules. You're you're supposed to stay within them, obviously, and understand them yourselves. Um, it's not necessarily always going to be double checked, um, but if it is, and you haven't obviously complied with that, then yeah, potentially you can. Yeah, because the ATO website. I think it is getting better and more up to date. Like I'm just logging in now to the MyGov because I did this last year. I had a little bit of catch up and I did it as housekeeping. But it, it's also dependent as well on your super contributions this year as well. So mm, with, with us coming towards the end of financial year, some employers pay quarterly and they might get sneak that in before June 30. So you might have a sudden five grand go in before the end of the year that you weren't accounting for. So Checking with your payroll as well is important in our opinion to see if there is any more super that they're paying in before you do this so you know how much has gone in this year and, and the best way to check that is from your actual super fund and then generally speaking my gov for the, the, the last four to five years. Yeah. And also with this James as well, um, you can only do this if your super fund's below $500,000 um, as of June 30 last year. So um, I'm sure most of the listeners have a have mm. a balance below that, but um, that is one of the, the caveats. And the, I guess the other thing that potentially is a downside to this as well is for people that are earning over $250,000, there's an, an extra tax called Division 293. So that's where you'll get charged an extra 15% on top of the 15% super uh, tax for, for any extra contributions. And what happens is after you do your tax return, the government will say, okay, you've done your tax return, you've earned over that 250, you owe us X amount on the contributions that yep. went into super. Now, they will elect for you to pay just from your normal bank. I just pay mine from my normal bank account or you can take that tax out of the super fund. Yeah, so the the people that are on that tax bracket are still better off. It's just not you're not better off as as much. So it's instead of going from say forty seven percent tax bracket down to fifteen, you just drop down to thirty. Totally. So I'm just on the um, ATO portal. So we're recording this, you know, at the very end of May. I've clicked superannuation, gone to the menu information, and then I've clicked concessional contributions. At the moment, it's telling me remaining concessional contributions is $12,000. Now, that's the cap. That's given we're in May, that is slightly lagged um, because I, I know there's not 12000 left because I'll cap out just from my SG. Yeah. Um, yeah. And this is why you need to do your own due diligence and, and add yeah. up yourself as well. And then, so if then I've go to super information, carry forward concessions. Yeah, this is weird. It says unused concessional contributions available to carry forward. Mine now says um, $27,000. That's weird. Because it would just probably be for this full financial. Oh, year. yes. Because, okay, so that's interesting. So that won't update till the 1st of July likely. So I wonder if the unused concessional contributions. It hasn't been reported yet. For hasn't year. been. Maybe they only report that yearly. 
I suspect so. I don't actually know for a fact, um, but we see it sometimes when clients log into their MyGov to look at look at their super balance, mm. and they're like, "Oh, that seems way lower than what it, you know than what I thought." And then when they log into the actual super fund, there is there is a difference there because often the MyGov balance has has lagged. Yeah, I mean, and this is just like I'm in this money world every day, and I get freaking confused. Yes, uh, I'm going to keep an eye on this because last year I put extra money in because it. I had room. Gosh. So, and I had the same thing personally happen to me because I, I used this uh, sort of two years ago. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the year after, it still sort of implied that I could do a similar amount. Yeah. That's so weird. Well, you've just got to call your super fund, see how much you've, you know, put in maybe the last year. You might have to, and James might have to call his previous super fund. Yeah. and get some information. Absolutely. And then just make sure you're across, James, um, or anyone listening, what the contributions caps were over the last five years because they haven't always been $27,500. Mm. Um, and then it might almost be a manual calculation to be on the safe side as well, which is what we personally do for our clients. Yeah, and like you said as well, just check with your employer in terms of how often the soup is going in as well so you're not getting caught out there. Mm. Yes, well... Well, good problem to have if you've got extra money left over. Uh, a lot of people don't at this time. Kim, hi. Might be a silly question, but I'm a new homeowner. Congratulations, Kim. I've been paying extra on the loan and just wondering if I'm paying extra, does the extra automatically come off the principal or do I have to ask it to be? Couldn't really tell the answer on Google. The loan is a NAB variable loan with an offset account. Well, it's probably best to ask NAB, but um, you don't need to ask them in terms of telling them to put it onto the principal, but we do believe that this updates at the end of the month, and but you should still get the underlying interest saving from putting it into the loan, but you won't actually see it come down from your principal by the end of the month, but best to speak with NAB to confirm that. I guess thinking out loud with the um, putting it onto the loan versus the offset, would just be what's the reasoning behind that as well, um, Glenn. Uh, I guess with the with the offset, it's good because it's offsetting the interest that you're paying on on your mortgage. The same way that putting extra onto your your loan does as well, but it also makes it more flexible. Your money by having it in an offset account. Um, I if you were to potentially if Kimberly was to. Uh, buy her her next home and and the current home was to become an investment property, the the best course of action would most likely be to build up her offset account as an example. So then her loan is higher on this current house when she does move out and it becomes an investment property for tax purposes. Yeah. And I guess it's just remembering as well. So um, have a chat to your your mortgage broker when when you're refinancing or you're you're purchasing a property because sometimes with banks, if it has an offset account, it will have a slightly higher interest rate as well. And there's often a a fee there too. Yeah. Usually if you, gosh, I need to recalculate this, but like- Eight grand is the answer. Is it 8,000? Yeah, we calculated just before. So based on a 5% interest rate, which I know some rates are slightly higher, but the majority of offset account fees are about $400. Yeah. So you need at least eight grand in there to, to kind of negate that Because it used to be feet. high when interest rates were bugger all. It used to be over $20,000. Yeah. Yeah. So that's it. Like in direct answer to Kim's question, like if you moved $1,000, so I'm with St. George with some of my banking, if you move that over to the actual loan, it what it says, it basically 
even though it's not a redraw, it tells you how much it's in credit by. So it's, yeah, check with, and these are, you know, I know enough with mortgages to get into trouble, but because you're paying more principal into it than the scheduled payments, it might say that you're in credit, but it's still applied to the loan, if that makes sense. Yeah, and then often the redraw may not become available to the end of the month when they then update it. Well, it might not even be a, a, a strictly redraw facility. Mm, they might have well. a fee, you know, because a redraw, you can take the money in and out, right? Because that's the facility. But, you know, my St. George, if I'm in credit, actually, I'll log in now just for the lols. Like, there might be, because my account with St. George is just a, you know, variable mortgage with offset uh, to just reading my PIN number live on air. <laughs> um, so I go to transfer money between my accounts. Um, okay. So it's not letting me transfer from the mortgage, but if I go to one of my mortgages, yeah. So one mortgage, I'll make a number up, $420,000 is one of them. It says the available balance is 10000 but you now, can't access that. But I can't access it. And I have not. And I think the reason why that is there is because when the interest rates were dropping, the quote unquote monthly payment was going to be less, but I was paying the same amount. So that's why I'm in credit. And then at the bottom, it's like um, the forecast loan term is only 20 years, not 25 or something like that. Mm-hmm. So... But all that to say, like I've not paid any extra onto the mortgage and I will only put money on the offset account for exactly the reason that you said, Scott. Yeah, it's that flexibility. And particularly, like you said, if there isn't a redraw facility, perhaps yeah. attached as well it is, then yeah. go but on. Kim, like call NAB and just get them to explain it how the exact product works so you know. Yeah. And, and maybe not like, as you said, Scott, at the end of the month it might reappear. So it might be a monthly thing. Which, yeah, I mean, I have a NAB loan. I think that's what happens. But yeah, I, yeah, back, like, like you said, at the end of the day, NAB will be the best one to ask to get the definite yeah. answer. Or your mortgage broker, but if you've got to make a phone call, you might as well you know, maybe go straight to the horse's mouth. Not sure. Hey, we'll take a break and we'll be back right after this. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. 
connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Radio, welcome back. Uh, just some housekeeping. Uh, John Pigeon has a webinar coming up on Tuesday the 13th of June at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, and that's about building a property portfolio. So if you do want to buy an investment property and are keen on property, buying property and investing and all that stuff, uh, there's a link in the show notes, building a property portfolio with John Pigeon. It's a free webinar. Everyone's available. Other housekeeping, retire right. We've just dropped a new episode and there's more on the way. I've done that with a financial advisor, Martin McGrath. I've also done some other episodes with Matt Hawkins, who's a financial advisor who specializes in retirement planning. And you can subscribe to Retire Right wherever you listen to your podcasts. And this podcast series, it is for primarily over age 50, 55. So those who are at the, I don't know, over the other side of being 30 and 40. Like you are like, all right, I've worked for 30 35 years, not going to do another 35, I need to retire right. Those that are starting to, uh, looking to harvest the fruits of their labor maybe or something like that. Thanks for that. (laughs) Thanks for joining me in the housekeeping segment. Uh, And just some other housekeeping, our um, Sharesies, our show sponsor, they've got a, a competition at the moment that, you know, full disclosure, this wasn't part of any agreement, but I just thought I would let you all know. They've got an auto invest feature and they're running a promo uh, and it ends tomorrow, the 7th of June. So if you're listening to this today, it ends the 7th of June. Set up a new auto invest order by tomorrow and go in the draw to win one of three $200 shares of gifts vouchers. Remember, you can also have that $10 added to your new account um, by using the promo code MMM when you sign up to the Sharesies platform. Before we get out of our housekeeping segment, I've tasked you guys, and I think you did it, Scott, Are there any housekeeping things coming up to the end of the financial year that people should consider? Yep, absolutely. So the first first one that probably comes to mind is super contributions. So spoken a little bit uh, today around catch-up contributions and and kind of contributing before June 30, but then also making sure that you're sending in your notice of intent to your super fund for any contributions that you wish to claim. You need to do that before you lodge your tax return. So um, yeah, otherwise it, it, you won't be able to claim that. So that's 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 one thing. Still on the theme of, of kind of super contributions is uh, the first home super saver contributions. So making sure that we get those in if, if you're looking to potentially buy your first home in the years ahead, there's um, ways you can kind of save for your house in a tax effective way. And then for those people that are, are potentially on maternity leave at the moment, then spouse contributions. So um, putting putting some money into your spouse's um, super to, to uh, get a tax offset or, or super splitting. So that's where you can uh, split uh, your super contributions if you're the one working to your, to your spouse as an example. Yeah. So if you want to um, get a refresh on those little super strategies uh, in the super chapter of my book, um, I've talked about the spouse splitting and the contribution splitting or the spouse contributions and the super, super splitting. splitting. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll just chip in there and just say, don't leave it to June 29th either. Yeah. Give yourself a little bit of time because the super fund might not be able to process it immediately that day. Yeah. And that will get 
allocated to your account the day that it's processed at their end. And if it's on the 1st of July... You can't say, sorry, I, yeah. I didn't mean for that. Yeah. So there you go. Well, we'll bounce right into the community segment of the week right now. Radio. So the community segment of the week is brought to you by Sky Wealth. Make sure you get your life and income insurances sorted out before you die. I used to say, and I still do, don't die unless you've got life insurance. What if you've got a family? What if you've got kids? What if you've got people that depend on your income? Get your bloody life insured, then die. Radio, you can head to sky.com.au forward slash MMM to have a discussion at no cost and they'll point you in the right direction and there's a little video on that website from me and Phil about the process. So we asked the community, the weirdest thing you saw at a property inspection. Here we go. Do you guys want to read some? Uh, yep, I'll start off. Uh, Chantel wrote, a microwave and fridge in the ensuite. Hey, Basically a hotel room. Handy, right? Basically. What about Midnight she- snack or something? Yeah. <laughs> Sheena said uh, the tenant sleeping in the bed. What? Be pretty interesting walking in on that. Gosh. There's quite a few that have a similar theme, um, such as uh, hydroponics set up in the subfloor and they weren't growing tomatoes. Apparently. Oh, I wonder what they were growing. <laughs> well, yeah, maybe it was uh, the bong on the coffee table and the vibrator on the bed from Bell. Toby said... The weirdest thing he saw at a property inspection was an affordable house. <laughs> yeah, that was good. I like that one. Um, Darcy wrote, uh, probably a real estate agent being there pointing to rooms saying, this is a room. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Jess Clifton, hello, how are you? I know you. Carpet in the bathroom. Wow. My nan's old house at Bado Bay, Toongara Avenue, everyone, had carpet in the bathroom. Like a 70s thing or something? Or? Probably 60s. Yeah. It was awesome. Well, Mia had uh, five locks on the back door, so mm, must have been a good neighbourhood. Keeping, keeping with that, uh, Eloise wrote, the spare bedroom floor to ceiling was filled with dolls and a single woman, woman lived there. Mm. Catherine said, a taxidermy chihuahua. Oh, I know, Kat. Hey, how are you? <laughs> um, that'd be pretty cool. I'm, I'm actually low-key into taxidermy. Really? Yeah. I'm not sure I could do it with, with my, my little one. Yeah. Too too hard, yeah, too close. What have you got? Uh, pretty much a little chihuahua like that, a little Jack Russell. Yeah. Um, have you got any taxidermy? I'll show you my room later. <laughs> uh, yeah. So the boys are at my house and they're yeah, visiting we're from out. Perth. We're hanging out. Uh, Carly said a stripper pole in the lounge room. Mm, yep. That's probably. Well, they might have been like an exercising type stripper pole. Yeah, they do exercise for that. The. Mm. And yeah, Anna's got here um, 72 cartons of empty 4X bitter cans stacked neatly on the veranda. Oh, there you go. 4X, that's a good Queensland beer, isn't it? I think so, yeah. Look, like, do you get the 5 cents or 10 cents in New South Wales? The return? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think you get well, maybe, maybe Smart just, person. Yeah, just banking that. Yeah. Well, there you go. Thanks for being part of the community segment of the week, everyone. And thanks for having a bit of fun with us on the Facebook group. We'll bounce out of this segment right now. Thanks to skywealth.com.au forward slash MMM. So we'll touch on this kind of question. And for everyone, in a couple of weeks at the end of June, there's an episode going up on Thursday with Alex and Scott here. We've just recorded it. And it is a case study uh, with one of their clients. We talk about the process that the clients went through, 
the types of advice that they got. And yeah, it was really cool. And we really talked about the first home super saver scheme in that episode. And yeah, it's, it's a cool chat. So look out to that. But following on from that, Felicity said, is there anything in between listening to podcasts for advice and then visiting a financial advisor? As much as I would love to see a financial advisor, I've been quoted a minimum of $4,500, which is just too much for me. Is there a service in between? It seems like a big gap. Or just continue what I'm doing and listening to podcasts, reading books, and doing my own research. So I'll say that. And then there's another question here from Katie. Hey, everyone. In the process of finding a financial advisor that is a good fit, in the meantime, any thoughts would be appreciated. I have a firm goal of buying an investment property ASAP. I'm coming close to achieving my savings goal that I have set before making moves buying. And she goes on to say that she should hit that goal before the end of uh, this year. I do have a personal loan that I'm paying off in addition to saving at higher than minimum required repayments. If I continue with payments as is, I will have paid it back early mid next year. I'm feeling the pressure and motivation to get a property under my belt as soon as I can. However, am I better off clearing all debt first to minimize? Yes, uh, impact <laughs> it can have on my borrowing capacity and adjust my plans slash focus to clear debt and buy next year instead of pushing to buy this year. Appreciate any insights. It's my first time buying property. I'm relatively early in my journey of improving my financial education. Maybe let's talk about Katie first, then we can swing back to motherhood, advice, books, podcasts in between. I mean, what are you doing in Katie's situation? You know, relatively new to money education, wants to buy property, has some good savings goals, but also has a personal loan and feeling some pressure. I mean, she's got it all happening. Yeah, well, I guess the first one is around the pressure. That It's, it's such a big decision buying a property and so much money that you don't want to feel rushed and, and we need to make sure it's right for for you, Katie, and, and it's sustainable longer term as well. So I guess there's a, there's a few people that can kind of get involved and potentially assist Katie here. So the, the first one would potentially be a, a finance broker or mortgage broker around the borrowing power with, with the loan and, and not having the loan. Um, but most of the time, the personal loan or the car loan is going to be a much higher interest rate than than your, your home loan. So it's more often than not better to, to clear that if you do have the available cash and it's not going to impact what you want to do property-wise too much. I guess the other thing with purchasing a property and, and with Katie it being your, your first property and you, you kind of said that you're you sold on the investment, you are potentially forgoing some of the the good schemes and um, concessions that are out there in some states. So whether it's the first home super saver scheme, um, the, the first home buyers um, kind of lending scheme, um, stamp duty concessions and, and some other grants. So that would be something to kind of take a step back from and just understand why an investment property is, is the one. Um, and if it is, then potentially looking into a buyer's agent because it may not be in most suitable to, to purchase a property in your location as, a, as an investment as well, if that's really what you're, you're aiming for. Yeah, it's great that she's that she's super motivated. Definitely don't want to discredit that. It's really it's really awesome to see. Uh, in terms of how like like Scott sort of explained the where the professionals can potentially come in to sort of assist in, in different stages. I guess the financial advisor would yeah would help around that sort of that cash flow and and that uh, and the planning sort of pre and post sort of property there. Um, the mortgage broker is obviously going to help with the 
the borrowing capacity and how much that's being impacted by by the car loan. I guess my main concern or where we would sort of... Well, we don't even know if it's a car. Could have been a holiday. Oh, true. Yep. Yeah. Yep, true. Sorry, I thought it said car loan. Or whatever. It, it's going to be sort of consumer sort of debt there. Mm. Um, so it's going to have that higher interest rate, as Scott mentioned before. But I think the main thing to take away is, yeah, it, it's a large decision. Uh, obviously, purchasing a property is difficult, but it's kind of only half the battle as well. You want to make sure that you can hold on to it long term as well. Yeah, in this situation, Katie, like I'm just looking at, it's your first time buying any property and you're early in the journey of improving your financial education. So what I'm 100% doing is going back to, you know, Google Glenn James Sound Financial House or buy the book, sort your money out, get invested. And I want you to have a look at my Sound Financial House. Work on those foundations first. Foundation one, cashed up and debt-free. So we've got an emergency fund. We've got no personal loans, no consumer debt. Second foundation, a spending plan or a budget. So we've got systems in place. Third foundation, some personal insurances. Fourth foundation, wills and estate planning. I'm honestly going back and building right from the ground up because I would hate for you to go to a mortgage broker because you, you might have a cracking income. Sure, you can might be able to borrow 600 grand tomorrow, even with the personal loan. You go and buy that first investment property, it's in a regional center, and you've kind of just walked into this thing because that's the right thing to do, but you haven't actually built from the ground up. And we don't want, as you said, Alex, we don't want you to have to sell that property. It needs to be sustainable. It needs to be sustainable. Mm. Or do we just keep saving, clear the debt? And as you said, uh, Scott, we maximise some government guarantees. And in New South Wales, just recently, the new government, the new Labor government, that is, they've announced that they want to tweak the stamp duty concessions, get rid of the land tax for first home buyers, the choice, no stamp duty and land tax, and just increase the thresholds to like 850 or something like that. So I'm in Katie's situation, I'm totally chilling out. I don't think a financial advisor might be necessary today because you can pay that debt off yourself. You can save an emergency fund yourself. You can get, you know, Google the Glenn James spending plan. Trust me, you'll be surprised what you see in terms of price on there. Wink, wink. And then you might reach out to an advisor, just get some insurance to set up. Maybe just call your super fund and just get on top of where your super is and keep learning. But I'm not rushing out and buying a property because you're feeling pressure. And for those who are feeling pressure to do crap, tell the pressure to get stuffed. You need to have, it's like, I don't feel any pressure because I do what I want to do. And particularly around such a big decision like property, because, you know, mm. it's, it's hundreds of thousands and sometimes obviously millions mm. um, in terms of what your, your purchase price or what you're borrowing and stuff like that. And you want to be as sure, you're never going to be completely sure about anything, but you want to have, like you said, that sort of sound financial um, plan in place, those foundations, because it's not an easy thing to undo once you've purchased as well. There's high transaction costs with property. Well, you, you can't walk in and walk out of property. No. Like you can walk in and get a personal loan and go on a holiday, buy a car. Like that's easy. Like it's a big process. So what I would say is focus on paying down the debt. Once you're completely debt-free and have some savings happening, trust me, it will feel great. If it doesn't feel great, you can go get another personal loan. That's easy. <laughs> yeah, they'll give them out pretty easily normally. Yeah, so, and it, it probably wasn't really linked to Felicity's question, but I just wanted to cover it off because in this situation, I don't actually think 
a full financial plan with multiple strategies, multiple or this, because this is the purpose of the My Millennial Money podcast, to get you to a point where I've helped you get some direction. I've encouraged you to pay off your personal loan. I've encouraged you to at least have a spending plan or at least a second savings account, at least get your wills done, you know. Which is going to be well above the majority anyway. If that's right. If things in place. So. so that's kind of, and then if you go in your hearts of hearts and all that stuff, oh, I think I do want a property to live in. Okay, well, we can go down that road. And I guess coming back then to Felicity's question about the sort of in-between and stuff like that, the answer is the easiest analogy I think I could sort of compare it to is a basic gym membership versus a personal trainer. Yeah. Okay, so you, so you can have a basic gym membership for, for 20 bucks and maybe that works for you because you are you are dedicated, um, you enjoy, you know, maybe you really enjoy working out, you enjoy doing your own programming, something like that. But then maybe that's not that's not your jam, but you still want to exercise and you still want to hit goals and stuff like that. So you need that personal trainer. But that's going to be what, 100, 150 bucks maybe a session. So it, it's significantly more money. Mm. However, you potentially get significantly better results in that example as well. Because if you just had the basic one, you would never go. Yeah. And like, for example, in the case study episode that we did that will be up in a couple of weeks, by paying the financial advice fee and you know, we talked about that, you know, professional services like accounting, financial advisor, or lawyer, it could be between two to $300 an hour. There was one of the cases that you did, you know, I think you said, Scott, there was over eight and a half hours just of advisor time. Yeah, face-to-face advisor time. Which yep. is literally two and a half grand just to press go. Mm. And it's all the hidden work behind the scenes, but realistically... One of the strategies that was recommended in the case study saved $3,000, which paid for most of the fee anyway. So, if you didn't pay for it, how did you know that? So, it is sometimes a chicken and the egg thing. I guess my point I want to make as well, or I guess to Felicity's point too, sorry, is... um, it's, it's not for everybody to have an advisor either. Like mm. you're more than welcome to to keep doing your own research, listening to, to great podcasts like this one, do reading, you know, and you can you can buy courses and stuff as well, which are going to be, you know, significantly cheaper than, than having a one-on-one one on one advisor as well. Um, but it just comes down to, yeah, what you value and where you want to spend your time. So you might enjoy, you know, really self-educating yourself and stuff like that as well. But other people, yeah, they may want to learn something, but they potentially want to... Yeah, just get access to it quicker, you know? And for example, like back to the case study and sorry, everyone, it's out in a couple of weeks, but like how micro do you want? The stuff that you showed me, you did hugely micro cash flow stuff. Or if someone's like old mate, Mike, who's got the Glenn James spending plan, doesn't, doesn't need, need to pay an advisor $1,100 to get micro mm. with that. So then the, the what advisors generally charge will be dependent on the amount of work that they're doing. So with Felicity's comment, potentially that advisor was offering to do a lot of work for them as well. So, and the underlying value they knew. So I guess where Alex and myself come from is we're not going to tell a client that we can help them unless we know we can add that value of what we'll charge them and then some. Um, But obviously it's hard to sometimes get that message across. Yeah. And look, it is getting, you know, I think the pendulum will swing back because financial advice is so compliance heavy and I believe and the industry believes and even the government 
believe, like everyone believes and acknowledges that the pendulum has swung way too far and more compliance, more checkboxes, more paperwork means more time for advisors. You know, I think you said there was like over 25 hours of support staff yep. research and time. In the back end, yeah. yeah. Yep. Like that will slowly start to, you know, when the government, you know, finally, you know, release what they're going to do with the quality of advice review, we're hoping the costs will come down. Because you guys don't want to be charging, you know, all this extra money if you don't have to. Yeah, of course not. And there's, you know, there's stuff that we sometimes have to do at the moment that doesn't really add any value to the client or to us that we wish we didn't have to do, but it's the Mm. law. So, Felicity, I don't know. I would probably speak to a couple of financial advisors, tell them what you want to do. In fact, fun fact, guys, I actually got Felicity to email me. I sent it to your website because I'm like, look, just have a chat to the guys. I did send her to this advisor who did quote this um, $4,500. I know that the people that I refer people to, they're good people. They're not screwing anyone. It's just the legitimate costs of serving at the moment. Yeah, that's right. And then again, it, it just comes back to, again, the individual because potentially you don't want that high high micro super touch um, sort of experience or, or anything like that. You, you may be able to to self-learn and that's maybe more what you enjoy and more what you value, which yeah. again is, is perfectly fine as well. And even like the case study that we'll talk about, you know, you just did the once-off advice. There you go. There was no ongoing thing. They didn't you don't check in with them every month because they just didn't value the ongoing relationship. Yeah, correct. And and they didn't need it in that situation either. Yeah. Um, it was set up or provided the advice, get all the plans set up, make sure it's working and then it was theirs to follow from there. Yeah. And a lot of it's automated from there so there's no need to have anyone holding their hands. Now, with advice costs, there is a portion that some of the costs can be provided by one superannuation fund. Just refresh our listeners, if you know, if you did review superannuation, investing, some modeling for some different cash flow scenarios, when can super pay for financial advice? Yeah, so the the portion of fee that's um, towards providing us doing the work and providing advice on someone's super fund can then be paid for from their super fund balance. So it is still their money, but then then keeping more of their kind of outside super money for their uh, high, generally higher priority goals and, and um, serving them there, yeah. So, for example, if there was um, 30% of the work required... Then you, 30% of the, the fee. fee so, so you can't super. charge 100% or, or 90% in a lot of cases from the super fund because we are doing cash flow investments. Stuff that's outside yeah. of super. So it's only stuff that's related to the super fund, but uh, it doesn't need to necessarily be a full out-of-pocket cost. Yeah, the, at the end of the day, it comes back to the, the sole purpose test. Mm. So provided we are, um, well, when we are doing advice for people's super fund, it's often improving the fee, you know, improving the underlying investment strategy there, which is going to benefit their retirement, they are allowed to pay for that portion of advice through their super. Yeah, cool, cool, cool. Well, we might leave it there. Good hustle, good chats, all that stuff. Uh, If you do want to, you know, jump on the phone, Google Everest's Wealth, the website will come up. We'll put a link in the show notes. Either of you or one of your team members are happy to have a chat. Because I'm just of the view like, any, whether it's a mortgage broker, financial advisor, accountant, 
freaking butcher, baker, priest, anyone that I recommend people to, they will have a complimentary 15, 20-minute chat about the process and if they think they could provide benefit and a where-to from here. Absolutely. And if we feel that we can provide benefit, then the next session that we have is complementary to the that person as well. Yeah. As okay. well. Yeah. Yeah. That's when we use that sort of 45 minutes more for us to sort of take through, okay, these are the areas that we would focus on. This is our process. This is what we would charge. So they have all the information at the end of that session. So then they can decide whether it's for them or, or it's not, which is, which is fine as well. Yeah. Cool. So oh, thanks for looking after a heap of listeners all around Australia. And the cool thing is, guys, if you live on the East Coast, because they've got a team in Perth and, you know, they do Adelaide and East Coast as well, but it's actually really convenient for clients who live on the East because you might book a meeting after work at 6 or 7 p.m. Yeah, and they're still in the office. Have people at 8 o'clock at night in, in their time just uh, hoeing into their dinner. Yeah, and you're still does, yeah. at the office. So I think it's a a really good use of the time zone in Australia. Yep, and we love our East Coast clients as well. Love it. All right, guys. Well, thanks for visiting New Vegas. And it's beautiful, um, yeah. Turned on the weather. Yeah. Is that good. what it's called, New Vegas? I don't know. I've just said that. I've never <laughs> actually heard that before. It is nice here, though. I'm making Newcastle is where we are. It's, yeah. it's beautiful. New Vegas. So, <laughs> All right, you're listening to My Millennial Money. Well, you were listening to My Millennial Money. We'll see you guys soon. Bye. We acknowledge the Awabakal people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respects to their elders past, present and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. My Millennial Money supports a variety of charities, and we encourage you to consider giving as part of your overall financial strategy. If you would like some giving options, or if you're unsure about which charity you can support, head to mymillennial.money forward slash charities for more info. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement, target market determination, and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, and Glenn James are authorized representatives of Money Sherpa Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.